hardly a problem. Just about through the book of James. Got a couple more weeks to go. We'll make it. All right. James chapter 5. I want to read from verse 1. We're going to concentrate on the middle of the passage. It's all goes in context. We want to keep it that way. So let's start in verse 2. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your heart as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore be patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for, until it, for, for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against each, against one another, brother, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as examples of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven by earth, or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for James and what he's written to us. And Lord, as we study it, we pray that your spirit would take your word and in our hearts, teach us what it says, help us to apply and live what we learn today. And yes, this is Amen. Rob, just, just take me out of the monitor completely, my, my voice. I think that's where we're getting the echo. Yeah. Better? You hear me? There you go. All right. All right, we started. We'll get there. If I have to yell. We're going to get there. All right. Good? All right. We started a couple weeks ago, and we, we, we started looking at, um, and you don't have your notes, you probably have notes from last, last week or the week before, whatever it was we were in here, but it, it starts with true faith is patient and persevering. And this is that section from chapter verse 7 to, to verse 12. And he starts out in verse 7. He says, therefore, be patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. And we looked at the fact that we are to live in the truth that Jesus is coming back. Does everybody agree and understand that the Bible teaches that Jesus could come back at any moment? Are you ready for that moment, first of all? Are you? Yeah. 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 Better be ready. 
And we're to live with that anticipation, just as these early church believers were living in that anticipation. We're to look for Jesus' return, and we're to be patient. He uses the example of a farmer. He says, uh, see how a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. We're to, as a farmer, we're to be patient in sowing uh, the seed. What is the seed that we sow? It is the word of God. We're to be patient in reaping, which is also the, the result of that sowing. But who sovereignly is over the rain that comes early and the rain that comes later? God. Yeah. And we're to be busy in between. We looked at. We looked at the fact that uh, it says you also be patient. And then he says this. He says establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brother, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And we looked at the fact that we're to look at our own lives and we're to be clean. And where it says there, establish your heart. That's the key to almost everything in the Bible. Our hearts need to be in the right place. James has gone through and laid that out repeatedly, not in those words, but in other words, as we walk through this letter that he's written to us. So, so when we look at our own lives and be clean, we're to establish our heart, which means to be fixed on what? On Jesus. To be fixed on the purpose of our lives here on this earth, which is to what? What's the ultimate purpose of a Christian? To glorify God, right? How we live our lives, what we do with our lives, does it reflect the character of the one that we say that we serve? And when our hearts are established, when, when Jesus is the deepest desire, when God is in Jesus is the deepest desire of our heart to know him, our hearts are established in that. And we're to, we're to establish our own hearts, not anybody else's hearts, our own hearts. We're to be patient with one another. It says, don't grumble against one another. Remember, they were getting impatient about Jesus coming back, and, and I'm sure there was some rubbing back and forth. And it wasn't, this isn't slander. Slander he dealt with earlier. This is where people are in ministry, sort of moving along, and there's a grumbling. We've all been in church long enough to know that happens, right? We've all been there, right? And we'll be there again. But James says, no, when you're focused on the Lord's coming, you don't grumble about each other. Stay focused and busy about the word, about the work. So we're to be patient with one another. We're to be clean with one another. In other words, we're to confess when we're grumbling against each other. Confess when we've done things that might offend somebody else. Because remember, we're to glorify the Lord in our personal lives, but we're also to glorify the Lord in our corporate life. If you call this church your home, whether you're a member or just an attender, and this is where you come every week. Uh, this body of believers also has the ability to reflect God's glory to each other and then to the world outside. So we need to be, be patient with one another, but we also need to be clean with one another. We move into this next section. This is where we're going to be today. And if you have the notes from the last time, D is the next mark in your, in your notes. Uh, he says in verses 10 and 11, he says, My brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. <clears throat> Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, uh, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He's talking about Job's life. 
let's just break this verse apart. And D in your notes would be simply this. We're to look at the examples of those who have suffered and endured. Put them two together. They're two separate things, but together. Remember, James was talking about true faith is what kind of faith? A faith that endures through suffering. Not perfection, but through suffering. He says in this verse, let's break some of the words apart. My brother, again, James is talking to who? He's talking to the church. He's really, the majority of who he's talking to are Jewish Christians in that time, although there were Gentiles. But he's talking to that, that first church that formed out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that sending out of the upper room and then the Pentecost where that church started and grew through the book of Acts. That's the church he's writing to, those first group of believers that would be called the body of Christ. My brethren, so he's talking to fellow church members. So this is written to those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And our faith is alone in the work, the finished work of him on the cross. He says, take the prophets. A reference to those that, again, James is, is, is Jesus' half-brother. He is what nationality? He is Jewish, okay? So when he says take the prophets, this is something they would know very well. How many of you remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons of Father Abraham? Remember that song you learned in Sunday school? Listen, these Jewish Christians would have heard not that song, I don't think it was written at that time. It might be that old, but it was written at that time. But think about it. They would have known the forefathers of their faith, starting with Abraham. All right, he says, take the prophets, but not just the prophets in general. He says, those who spoke in the name of the Lord. If you look through the Bible and you look through history, there's a lot of people who say they're prophets. But do they speak with the authority of God? With the authority of the word? And he says, those who spoke in the name of the Lord, they weren't just any prophets. Because even in that time period, there were those that were false teachers. And you read through the New Testament, and you can see that over and over again. He's referring to those who were the true prophets, and he adds that qualification. And he says, he talks about suffering and patience. Suffering, just so you know, to separate these two, suffering is, is physical, mental uh, persecution which would have been something that was going on in that time. Remember, if you read the beginning of, of James, what's he say? He's writing to a group of people that were what? Scattered because of persecution. So he's telling them in that aspect, that would be one aspect of the suffering. It could be sickness. It could be hardships. It could be just trials in general. But he says, look to their example of suffering. But he doesn't stop there. He says, look to their example also of what? Their endurance, their patience. Remember, patience is a word that, 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 that also means, or in this case, means endurance. So they're to look at those examples of suffering and patience. Uh, they were look, to look to those who had walked before them and suffered, but didn't fall by the wayside. They endured. Now listen, we, we live in a tough time, do we not? How many of you struggled this week? Come on. Everybody in this room probably struggled with something. It could have been, it could have been you struggled with maybe a sickness that's been allowed in your life. It could be you 
struggled because there's a financial difficulty or something like that. It could be you struggled because you were persecuted. I don't believe any of us in this room have been persecuted like these people have been persecuted, but it could be. Maybe somebody raked you up in the cold because of your faith. But he, he says, listen, and he's writing to us because hardships and trials are a normal part of life. Everybody agree? There's no rosy. We can, there is rosy over here. But there is no, there is no, we, you ever, you ever, you ever, I put this song that talks about looking at things through rose-colored glasses, right? There's, life doesn't exist that way. And he's telling these believers to focus on Jesus, to focus on him coming back. And they were to look to them as examples. Go back to James chapter 1 and keep in mind the, the focus of this whole entire letter. Just, re just remember the focus of this entire letter. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The verses we start out with a long time ago. Says, my brother, again, written to those who are believers, he says, What? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what's that word? Patience. What's he saying in this chapter we're in right now? Patience, right? What's that word mean? Endurance. What are those trials for in our lives? They are for what? To teach us to endure. And to trust the one who's in control in that process. But it says this, but let patience or endurance have its perfect work. Why? Because when we endure, it says that you may be what? Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Mature. So keep that in mind as he tells them to look back. Of those who've walked before them. James is closing his letter, and we're working on that, but he's closing his letter by showing them what the person who has allowed trials to push them to God. Understand this. If a hardship comes into your life, it is designed to push you to God, not away from Him. If, if you walk away from the Lord because of a hardship or trial, whatever it is, there's one of two things. James would tell you you're not saved. But there's also the lack of faith. And the double-minded man. So there's those two things that James addresses. The trials are, are given to us to push us closer to God. And that through endurance, we have been proven complete and mature or mature. So we keep that in mind. He then says, listen guys, many have walked before us and we need, we need to remember them as an example that we can make it also. Sometimes we take to think that our hardships are things that only we've walked through. Nobody else has experienced what I'm experiencing. Believe me, there's always somebody that's experienced a lot worse. And especially when it comes to the faith. When it comes to our faith. There's not one of us in this room that had to stand with a gun in your head and said, deny Jesus or die. If you have, stand up, because I want to pat you on the back. But you haven't. You might one day, but you haven't. And he's saying, listen, there's others who have walked before you. Stand firm. Establish your hearts. Go to the middle of those verses. Go back to chapter 5. 
And let's look at verse 11. It's sort of the middle portion of, of where we are today. But verse 11, he says this. The conclusion of the suffering, he says there, Indeed, we count them what? Blessed to endure. Go back to chapter 1, verse 12. There's only three times the word blessed is used in the book of James. Chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. Blessed is the man who what? Endures trials. For when he has been approved, not earning his salvation, but his faith being proven by his works, when he has been approved, he will what? Receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You think there's a combination, or there's a reason there's two verses in this letter? He also says in verse 25 of chapter 1, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. In other words, when we look into the God's word, when we allow, remember that picture of the bowl, the brazen altar, and looking into that, and then we see a reflection of ourselves, and then when that reflection doesn't look like Jesus, we need to keep stirring that water up and keep working on that. It says when we stay in it, when we endure, when we allow the word to do what it's supposed to do, which is to wash us clean, show us what's wrong, show us and. Uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, that's truth. For correction, or for reproof, that's the pointing out. For correction, that's how to get right. For instruction in righteousness, that's how to stay right. That the man of God may be what? Perfect and complete, like he comes in. I don't know if I've got it right at the end there, but that's all right. It means that. All right, but the point is, is this. This one will be blessed in what he does. James also, as we've said before, parallels what book of the Bible? There's two of them, actually. We talked about one of them as what? Proverbs? What's the other one? Matthew? In the Beatitudes? All right. Go back to chapter 5 of Matthew. Give it a second to turn back if you can. And let, me, let me just bring this all together because this is what he's talking about. Indeed, we, have, we count that blessed who endure. says in verse 3 it says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn or are broken over sin for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And notice real quick as James, or not James, as Matthew shifts from the impersonal, speaking in a general sense, he changes and he goes, you. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for those for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And James points them exactly back to the same place. 
Those who've gone before, James and Jesus both, said, listen, the end is worth the trouble of the trip. Stay focused. Just so you know, you're not the first one to walk this path. Many before you have, and they've made it. What are you pointing them to? Listen, ministry's hard. Life is hard. As a Christian, it's hard. It's hard to, to live in a world that's constantly pulling you in another direction. Are you tired of walking on that fence? I am. You're a pastor. I struggle too. Tired of walking on that fence. Then pick a side. Then pick a side. Be a double-minded man or establish your heart. That's what James was saying. Be a double-minded man or establish your heart. So he says, look at the prophets in Job. And here's what I want you to do. There's a book before James, the book of Hebrews. And we're going to walk through a couple chapters here if we have time. But I want you to see what he's saying. Now, Hebrews was written sometime after James. James was written in time period. As, in other words, the date that it was written was the first, would have been the first uh, of the New Testament. We don't necessarily know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many believe that Paul wrote it because his writings are sort of the same. But it really doesn't matter who wrote it. It matters what's said in here. So what I want to do is we're going to walk through parts of chapter 10, all of chapter 11, Parts of chapter 12, because this, I believe, is the same thinking that James is telling these Christians to look back to. In, James, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, it says this, and I would encourage you to underline this verse, and every time you struggle, come back to these verses and read them. Your faith is in what this book says about who Jesus was and what God is and who he is. It's not in what I say. It's not in what any group of religious organizational people say. It's in this book. So you need to know this book. And you need to, this is a verse that tells us when we struggle. It says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope? Is it in you? Is it in being baptized? Is it in taking communion? Is it in being a good person? Is it in what other people say? What's your hope in? It's Jesus. It's in the, the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. The confession is the, the, the outward voice of what you say. But, uh, Romans chapter 10, where the heart one believes on the righteousness and with the mouth what? Confession is made on the salvation. So we're to hold fast. In other words, when we struggle... Who should we be hanging on to? Jesus and what he did on the cross. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Loosely does it say? It says without what? Wavering. James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Get the picture here. Without wavering. A double-minded man does not hang on to Jesus without wavering. He says for he... Who's the he who promised? No, that's not Jesus. It's God, the Father. For he who promised is what? Faithful. He who promised is faithful. Then he goes on. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What are we doing right now? 
We're considering each other to stir us up to good works. Not good works for salvation, good works because of salvation, because that's what we've been put here for. Ephesians 2.10, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God established when? Today? <laughs> Before Genesis 1. Think about that one. All right, let's keep going. I don't want to stay there. I can preach a message on that. Then he says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of something. Listen, you can't be stirred up together as a congregation if you ain't here. All right, so just take that word in. Uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of something. It must have been something they struggled with back then too. But exhorting one another and then it says this, and so much more as you what? See the day approaching. Is Jesus one day closer to coming back than he was yesterday? Alright, so is the day approaching? Alright, so if the day is approaching, should we not forsake the assembly of ourselves? You better say yes, we need to be here. As you see the day approaching and we're together, should we be stirring each other up in good works? Yes, we should be busy about the master's business. Not comfortable in our chairs. This church is not. I think I'm trying to get the words right. This church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. Amen. Remember that one. It ain't cruise until Jesus comes back. It's battle until he comes back. And if you're not in the battle, number one, you're not either not saved or you don't, or you're apathetic and, and you've got some things you need to deal with. But he says, let us stir up. So much more as you see the day approaching. Remember, James is talking about what? True faith. Go to chapter 11. Flip over in Hebrews to one more page. He says this. So uh, we've been talking about that true faith, that genuine faith that is proved out by how we live. So what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, the writer tells us point blank what it is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. Have any of you walked, were any of you here when Jesus walked the earth? Did you see him? Were you there when he died on the cross? You were there in a sense, because you were hanging there with him, but did you see him die on the cross? No. But do you believe that he died on the cross? Amen. It says this, faith, or, faith is the realization of things past, and future as if they were right now. This is talking in a future sense. Faith is the realization of things future as if they were right now. Faith is not based on physical evidence, but it's based on the promises of what? The faithful God. Remember the verse we read in chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he his promise is faithful. Go to verse 2. It says this, uh, verse 1 again, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now listen to what the writer says here. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now these were people that were in the present or in the past? In the past, probably. So the life story of the saints of old <laughs> Although we know from reading scripture, it wasn't perfection, was it? Now, there ain't one of them. They all look like goofballs like we are. They struggled with a lot of the same things that we did. 
David, who was a man after God's own heart, right? What did he struggle with? He struggled with lust and deception and lies and murder and all those things. But God called him a man after his own heart. And he endured to the end. They're not perfect, but that of a life of faith in the one who promised. Now think of yourself as an Old Testament saint. Jesus had not yet come, right? All right. Jesus was future. He was promised. All right. They, some, most of them didn't see it. All right. But their faith was in the future work of Jesus Christ on that side of the cross. Our faith is in the past work of Jesus Christ. We look back. But faith in the one who promised. Genesis 3.15. I think we talked about this verse last week. The very first pronunciation of the gospel in the Bible. For he, capital H, or no, for her seed, capital S, will crush the head of the serpent. Who's the capital S seed? Jesus. Who is, whose seed was it? It's God, but it's Mary. It's through the Virgin Mary. All right? He was the one who would come. So all of them knew that. So their faith, and, and they obtained a good testimony by what? Faith in that truth. And they endured, and divine approval was given to them, not because of their works, because of their faith that was shown by their enduring works. Hebrews 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 3, keep going. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Simply put, there's not one of us that was here when God created the world, was there? There's some of us that were closer, right? But none of us was here that long ago. I know, Ken, you think you were. Right? But none of us were here. None of us were here. But the world is here, and we are here, and we trust that what God said happened, happened. Correct? Amen. So let's go to chapter 11, verse 4, and we'll move our way through. You didn't know what this passage of Scripture is called? It's called the Hall of Faith. All right? And we'll go through. Because this is what James is talking about. Go look at them. When you struggle, go look at them. They lived in anticipation of the Messiah, who in most of their lives did not come until later on. He says there in verse 4, By faith. Uh, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. It was an obedient sacrifice through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. In other words, his sacrifice was a picture of his obedience and faith in what God promised. God testifying of his gifts and through, and, and through it, he being dead still speaks. In other words, his testimony of his enduring faith is still for us to read today. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had the testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. So let's just stop right there. Was it Enoch's works that saved him? No, by faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So his works were proof of his trust in the promise of God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which was according to faith. Now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Noah for a couple minutes. All right, the world is at its worst point, or maybe one of a couple different worst points, but the world's messed up. It's so bad that there's only one man. Now, Enoch's already gone. He walked with God because of his right, because of his faith and his righteous life. But Noah comes to Noah, and him and his family, he's the only one. Noah, you know the song, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord? All right? Can you imagine what he had to endure as he's building this great big boat in a time period when it didn't rain? Remember this, before Noah's ark, there was no rain. God moved the earth from other ways, from the bottom and from the top, but it was in a different way than rain. Can you imagine the ridicule? And then as he's pounding his day, oh, no, look at you, you fool. And he's building this ark. But it says what? With godly fear, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And then he goes on. Go to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the to go to the place which would receive, which he would receive as an inheritance. That's Genesis chapter 12. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in that land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he <clears throat> waited for the city which was which has Foundation, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, although Sarah had that wavering faith at times, right? but by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. Remember, she was barren and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful, God faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in the multitude. We're part of that. We're speaking of the Jewish nation, but our, our descendants, descendancy, whatever you want to call it, because and Noah, wait a minute, let me make sure I get that right. We're all, we can be traced back there somewhere. Let's just leave it at that. So but, but think about that. The seeds are many. Because of, because of Abraham's faith. Had he not left the land, God wouldn't have done what he did. He would have used somebody else. Innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Go to verse 13. These also died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims of the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if, the, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. Now, not the begotten son as in Jesus is begotten. This is the begotten as in he was 
seed of Abraham. Jesus is, when he says God's only begotten son, is one of a kind, there is no other. That's the difference between those words. But he offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in, in Isaac your seed shall be called, con concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith J Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should, be should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as dry, as dry land where the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she was received with their spies with peace. And what more shall I say for the time would, be, would fail me Tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women perceived, women perceived their dead, raised again to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony, through faith, in other words, their life represented what they said they believed. God, having provided something better for us, that they should be made perfect apart from us, speaking of Jesus. Look at verse chapter 12. Therefore, same thing James is saying. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, all those witnesses he just listed. And we could go through in our time period and look at those who were murdered, who were burned at the stake. Listen, the blood of, of the martyrs is what we, we stand on the foundation of the apostles and Jesus as the cornerstone. But you you realize the Bible that you hold in your hand was when you have it because people died. They endured. Their faith was more than just lip service. They endured. All of them is an example. 
He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and what does the writer say now? Let us lay aside every weight of sin, weight and sin, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right there, it says that Jesus' work was done when he was on, when he got up and he was raised from the dead. No more do we need to crucify Christ. His work's done. Work's done. I don't have the time to read through the rest of the chapter, but I would encourage you to do so. Because it's very important that we remember that our battle is not a battle that is new. It's a battle that's already been fought by others who endured, by others who, by because of their faith, were part of all that and didn't didn't give up. Go real quick to the end to go back to chapter five of James. Let's walk through this last step very very quickly. It says, but above all, my brother, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no no, lest you fall into judgment. James once again points them to what comes out of their mouth as a gauge to what is in their heart. Chapter 3, verse 2, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the word, he is a perfect man, able also to, to bridle his whole body. Verse 10 of that same chapter, out of uh, the mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. And he starts in this, as he sort of concludes this part, after pointing them to look back at the saints of old, and the above all, it gives the impression of, listen, this is pretty important. And this verse, in a lot of ways, is sort of out of place in this chapter, at least it seems to be. It doesn't smoothly fit into what James has been writing. However, this seems to be part of James's intent. It's an important point, and it needs to be emphasized clearly. Again, he says, above all, Indicating that it is a big deal. A big deal. He then repeats nearly word for word Jesus' command out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 to 37. When James says that we must not swear, he isn't talking about using coarse language, although there's other passages in Scripture that would tell you not to talk that way. Nor is he speaking necessarily about using the Lord's name in vain, although there's plenty of passages that would tell you not to use the Lord's name in vain, which simply means this. Unless you're referring to God, you're talking about God, you don't use his name because it's using it in a, in a derogatory fashion. He's talking about a practice that was apparently common in this time period. Taking an oath to convince someone Either that you were telling the truth or that you were going to keep your promise. It'd be like me uh, walking up to, to Paul and saying, hey, think where. Like my word wasn't good enough. We might think of some sayings that might be like, I swear on a stack of Bibles that I'm not lying. Or I swear on my mother's grave. You've heard those things said before. 
It must have been a practice at that time. In other words, these people didn't live convincingly enough that they had to add this to whatever they were they were they were telling that they were going to do. Jesus forbids Christians from doing this, and James confirms it with his teaching. The issue appears to be honesty. Truthfulness should be the absolute norm for those who trust in Christ. Our simple yes or no should be completely binding, since deception is never an option for us. If an oath is required to convince someone of our honesty or our intent to be faithful, it suggests that we might not be known for telling the truth in other circumstances. Just keep that in mind as you, as you take this last part, but in Matthew, those verses that James pulled from, it says again, you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, capital K. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is, is more than these is from the evil one. Simply the last point would be this. We're to look to the future and we're to live honestly. We're to look to the future and we're to live honestly. I want to just close this way. Right? I know, but I want to encourage you this way. Everything about your endurance is, is, is subject to whether or not your heart is tired. Sometimes I think that we as American Christians uh, are very lax and apathetic towards the things of God. Being in church is one of them. I hate to beat that to death, but I want you to understand something. When he says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves as a matter of such it, and as you see the day approaching, that means every opportunity you get. Now, if you've got to work or those kinds of things, that's different. But every opportunity you get, church is a priority. Because it involves your growth. It involves your growth. Because in here, you're equipped. You're exhorted. You're encouraged. That's that stirring up to push you out to do good work. And there is a day that's coming where this may not be the norm. And, and I'm afraid to say that probably on those days, if that ever happens in our country, you won't see many people in this church. Or any other church. Because I think that we've been, either we, 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 we've accepted a wrong view of who Jesus is, or a wrong view of what it means to be a servant of the Lord. Jesus died and gave everything for you. And he bore your burden on the cross. How should it be anything less than for us to give him everything back? And that's what James is writing about. And then we're to live with the example of those in the past. They weren't perfect, but every one of them, every one of them stayed the course. Every one of them died with that faith and still of the future promise. Sometimes we can't even live in the day that we're in with that promise.
quoted in the video. If you have Facebook, you've probably already seen this because I had it on the Facebook page. But I'm going to close this video because I think we can learn a lot from those in other countries where they're not allowed to do this. So just play that video. Hey, let me finish with this uh, story. We go to China from time to time and, and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunan province. And they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators as, so as to not draw any attention. And then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment uh, room. It's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in and when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. Uh, no way. I looked at them and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the non-province. I said, how many? You counted up all the people under your jurisdiction. How many would it be? They counted them up, and they said, a little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles, and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway, and as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break, and I said, you... You recited the whole chapter. She says, oh, yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize many chapters? She said, in prison. Did you have much time in prison? So I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? She said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper, and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh, yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big, incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. <laughs> you sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In 
my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. Let me finish with this uh, story. We go to China. Too much at stake for it to be anything less. Too much at stake for it to be anything less. Say, what's at stake? Number one, Lord. If you're not living in obedience to what God's Word says, if your heart is not soft and listening, as James described, your life can be, as the Israelites reproach to the name of God. Glory to God is at stake. The gospel's at stake. We can't live lives as Christians who have the finished word of God, who have the finished word of Jesus Christ, who have the Holy Spirit who lives inside us. And we cannot live without being controlled by the things of the world. How can you tell anybody else outside these doors that gee, they need Jesus? You walk up and down these streets and you see those that struggle with alcohol and drugs. And that's not just the, the homeless people. That's people in the bar down the street on a Sunday afternoon who go to a quarter million dollar home and spend their afternoon. How can you tell them that the Bible can change them, the gospel can change them, if you're doing the same stinking thing. Mm -hmm. The gospel is the power to save from sin, but it's also the power not to be controlled by sin. And you don't know how many times in my life the Old Testament all the time. All the time. I hate it. But the only way that's going to get less or stop is to crucify it and hide God's word in your heart. 
The other thing to the state, and I'm gonna not stop sovereign and I understand all that stuff. The other thing to the state is the ministry of this church in reaching the lost outside of you. If your heart's not right with God, you will not care for anybody outside of you. Doesn't matter where they come from, whether they come out of the woods. They come out of a million dollar man. We need a week for those that are lost outside these doors. For those that come in here every week. Because if they die without Jesus, it's not a vacation for a couple days at some place until your sins are purged. Bible says it is forever, ever, 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 ever. We're to live with the future in mind. We're to live looking back to those that endured. Look at the blessings that God has shown through Abraham in the nation of Israel. Now they're disobedient, but one day they'll be recalled back. I don't know where any of this falls. And I'm not here to beat anybody up. But I am here to tell you as your pastor, we need to be pure. We need to be holy in our conduct. We need to be right with the Lord. Be clean with each other. Otherwise, we just play a game here every week. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word and the truth that it brings. I thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross. <clears throat> Father, I pray first of all, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that their hearts, that they'd understand that the Bible says we've all sinned, we're all separated from God, that, that there's no exemption from that hurt. And that separation is now, we don't have you, if we die without you now, it's eternal, for the wages of sin is death. Father, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that you show them that that's where they are. But Father, I pray that they'd also understand that, that that's the bad news. But the good news is that you, God, demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were still sinners, you just came to this earth and died for our sins. And that sin is a gift. Or not that sin, that, that your son is a gift. The work on the cross is a gift. Accept that gift by faith, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever calls on the Lord, name of the Lord, shall be saved. Every head bowed and every eye closed, and they look up. If you're here today, and you don't know for sure that if you died, that you would go to heaven, or you don't know for sure that you have gotten. 
Holy Spirit's the one that's pricking your heart. Paul says, just call out and ask him to save you from your sin to put your faith in his work through his son alone for salvation. You do it simply to be with a simple prayer. The prayer doesn't save you, it's the faith, but it's your Heavenly Father, thank you for showing me today that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending your son to take care of those sins. And today I ask you to forgive me of those sins. And in the best way that I know how, I am putting my faith, my trust, in his work on the cross to save me from my sins. Into my life. Help me to live for you. You can close with something simple as this. If you're here today, as every head bowed and every eye closed, you prayed that prayer for the first time. Amen. And where you prayed it, and you actually meant it this time. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody who'd be willing to slip up there? Anybody? Praise the Lord. Anybody else? For the rest of us. Is there anything in your life that's more important? You can say this with your lips and say, no, there is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, what God's doing in my life. So anybody that's struggling with that double-minded way, say, listen, Pastor, would you please say, okay, nobody's looking around, but anybody, okay? Anybody else? Okay. Anybody else? up all over the place. Yes, just put up there. Anybody else? Listen, we're here to help you. We're here to pray with you. We're helping you to help encourage you and get you equipped so that you can live in a world where you don't belong. Father, I pray for the one that raised their hand. Lord, I pray that, uh, that we'll be able to talk and be able to cement that decision in their faith in you. For those that raised their hand, and I would imagine every one of us at a different time different times during the week, we struggle with that double-mindedness, and we sort of get laid away from what we're really supposed to focus on, and God, I pray this week that you would take your spirit, and if, and if we don't get in your word, I pray that your spirit would draw us to that, and your spirit would show us that, that there's things that we need to take care of, but according to your word, I pray that your word, as it says in Hebrews, would, would draw into those places where we need to clean ourselves up, where we need to do spiritual surgery, and Father, that we give up those things that are dragging us in the wrong direction, that we would that we would give up those things that, 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 that we have greater love for than, than we have for you. For the sake of your glory, for the sake of our testimony, for the sake of those who need to hear yet, 